welcome back to Female Founder World. It's Jasmine, I'm the host of the show, and I have two of the most successful beauty entrepreneurs, certainly of our generation. It's Christine Chang and Sarah Lee, the co-founders Glow Recipe. They managed to turn their friendship and about a $50,000 investment into a $100 million business and one of the most, I think, relevant and buzzy beauty brands of the past decade. I have a very quick recommendation before we jump into the show with Christine and Sarah. It's another podcast. If you're enjoying this one and you're also into politics, maybe you are curious about politics, but you find political news a little dry. I get it. I have the perfect podcast for you. It's called Girl and the Gov, and they are funny, witty, smart, and they cover the political news and the stories that are relevant to people like me. And I think people like you, you can search Girl and the Gov podcast wherever you listen. You are now entering female founder world with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Sarah and Christine, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thanks Thanks for for having us. We're so excited. I want to start back in the early days and set the scene for folks who probably know Glow Recipe. I don't think there are a lot of people listening who are like, oh, I've never heard of Glow Recipe before. But where were you when you started the brand? I know that you were working together. It was 2014. Set the scene. We were colleagues back at L'Oreal in the New York office, but we had met many years prior to that because we both started our careers in L'Oreal in the Seoul office in Korea. And I started in 2004, right? Um, and the Christian, you started in 2005. Yeah. So that's how we met and we became friends. Um, and we both ended up in the New York office uh, a few years later. So that's where we were at. That's where we were. Please edit this part. Um, and We were both in marketing, product development, global marketing departments, and we both actually wanted to do something on our own, but it just really organically happened because we were brainstorming and just catching up in my apartment, and we found out that we were working on projects both inspired by technologies from Korean skincare. That's how it all started. And then fast forward three and a half years later, we launched our own brand, Glow Recipe Skincare, which is what you see today, which is all focused on fruit forward, clinically effective line of products for glowing skin. And, you know, from my understanding of working in beauty in the US, I feel like you were really early on in this kind of K-beauty movement that was starting to happen. What were some of the indicators that made you think, okay, this is like a big market opportunity? Or was it really just more you loved the products from using it yourself and it being in your own life. And you thought, I think there's something here. What was it? So because we were working in beauty at the time, we saw this seismic shift in terms of not only were customers more curious about Korean beauty, the topic was starting to be discussed. We were seeing global beauty companies starting to work with Korean manufacturers because there was just so much technology and innovation happening there. At the same time, we were also seeing a lot of products being brought over in a way that didn't speak to long-term brand building. They were very packaging-driven, promotional, and as long-term marketers and brand builders, we felt like we wanted to put our own stamp on it. Having especially worked both in Korea and the U.S. in the beauty industry, we had that unique perspective. We were bilingual. And most importantly, Korean beauty for us is not about a 
sheet mask or about a certain ingredient. It really is about a philosophy that we ourselves grew up with where skincare is meant to be one of the most joyous parts of your day. And so in addition to the efficacy and the ingredients that you choose, the sensoriality is also very important as it well as a ritual and the approach. And it was our goal and our mission to educate on this. Glow Recipe Skincare, which you see today at, you know, on the shelves of Sephora and, and Mecca, it's not a K-beauty brand because we're based in New York and we make our products with lab partners globally, but the inspiration and the philosophy will always be inspired by our heritage as well. Early on, I read that you were originally thinking this would be like a multi-brand kind of retailer, and then you pivoted into the into having your own skincare line. What was the process of the thinking behind that that shift? I think there was the white space that we saw in the market, and it also it was the mission that we had. So I'll just start with the market that we identified, um, which. What we were seeing is a lot of the brands that were talking about the clinically effective aspects and the results were on the very serious side. They were science-backed, very technology-driven, amazing claims, you know, the claims that you see about, again, the, the final results on the skin, but there wasn't the approachability to these products. And then on the other side, we saw a group of brands and products that were more on the fun side maybe a little bit too whimsical and they weren't perceived as results driven or or efficacious and so we decided that it would be a great idea to combine the two aspects and create a brand that truly is approachable and accessible without the compromise of the efficacious aspects of the products and and we were the first brand that really combined these two aspects in one which is why you see the colorful brand with, you know, fun and beautiful packaging. Yes, it's Um, iconic. Yeah. And everything is inspired by a hero fruit, whether it's watermelon, avocado, or guava. And we also wanted to make sure that every single product is clinically tested and consumers love it and vouch for it. And so it takes a really long time actually to develop any product at Glow Recipe, but we really make sure that we think about the consumer's journey at the end of the day. And the mission, which is the second part of why we started this, our own namesake brand, is because we always believe that skincare could be approachable, fun, no longer a chore, and at the same time, something that you can really rely on because it will give you and deliver results. You're obviously already loving Female Founder World in your ears three times a week. But did you know that we also make newsletters? We send two newsletters every single week where we basically do all of the hard work for you. We comb through all the boring business news and pull out the most interesting, inspiring and helpful business news from across the internet. And we only pick stuff that's super relevant to folks who are building consumer businesses. This is a free resource. If you want to get your hands on it, you can click the link in our show notes. This is also where we share our resources, where we share links to our workshop recordings, and we announce our upcoming events. When you said just then it takes a long time to develop, I also think of Glow Recipe as being a brand that is really setting trends in beauty. I see you bring out a product and then kind of, you know, six months later, I'm seeing a lot more come out. How are you also being, how are you being trend forward while the the development process is taking so long? Like where are you seeing these trends or where are you picking up these ideas that allows you to be so ahead of the curve? 
So that's a really interesting question because I don't think we ever develop products with trends in mind. I don't think Glow Recipe is really about being a trendy brand. It really is about solving true needs that our customers have in innovative ways. And we ourselves, our team members are also avid, avid skincare customers. And so we all have very strong points of view when it comes to you know, it's a very crowded space in beauty. So how do you truly add differentiation and moments of joy and effectiveness to our community's routines? And a great example of that is actually Dewdrops, which is one of our top products right now and also very popular on TikTok because I think it gives that instant visual effect in addition to having long-term results. And this inspiration was not only from our own needs in our routine, but really inspired by this encounter with makeup artists that we saw were using ingredients like Vaseline's or oils mm-hmm. to create this editorial, beautiful, glowy skin look. And we challenged ourselves to do this with just skincare ingredients and a formula free of mica, glitter, or pearl. So that's a good example of how we approach development because once again, serums have always existed as a category brightening treatments have also existed as a category, but by combining this instant dewiness, this instant dewy effect that it gives on skin, along with the fact that the formula plays wonderfully with makeup, can actually be pumped into your foundation or your CC cream or even your blush or your bronzer in the most versatile way, in addition to, of course, having clinical testing around long-term results. Mm-hmm. That for us was an example of how different things came together to give our customers a product that they could truly enjoy. Okay, Christine, you've just touched on so many things that I want to talk about there, like TikTok, how crowded the beauty market is now. But I want to kind of stay in these early days and understand when you launched your first product, what was your go-to-market strategy? How were you getting this out to the world when you maybe, you know, TikTok didn't exist then, you didn't have a huge email list to launch to? What were you doing to kind of get attention right back in those early days? I mean, the answer is social media. That was really... Instagram, um, which was... (laughs) Instagram. Instagram was the main channel for us at that time. It still is a huge channel for us next to TikTok today. But at that time, I mean, we were bootstrapped. We were a small company. We started our business. Christine and I put $25,000 each and we had... You know, that's how it started. We didn't have a huge amount of cash waiting for us to be, you know, spent Mm -hmm. for marketing or advertising or any of that. But we already had a following. It was much smaller, but we had a very engaged group of fans and customers on our Instagram that were very supportive from early days. And because they've seen us sort of grow this startup from nothing pretty much. And we've always kept it real, sharing our struggles, sharing our journey, almost inviting them to our world behind the scenes. And I think, you know, today you see behind the scenes of companies everywhere, especially on TikTok. But Mm -hmm. at that time, it was quite rare, actually, for that sort of raw environment to be shown (laughs) and shared with the community. And Instagram was rather more of a staged platform, if you will. Um, But we, again, kept it real because we wanted everyone to understand what we were going through, but also relate with us at the same time. So I think that if you, 
mean, you could say it's a strategy, but that was really honestly how we wanted to share everything with our community. I think that resonated with people that were following. And also we were able to earn credibility and trust from them. And we kind of shared also that we were working on something to, to launch our own brand. So people were genuinely excited and were ready to support us with our very first product, which was the Watermelon Glow Sleeping Mask. And we actually just launched a new version of it a few days ago. So can't wait for you to try it. But at that time, what, what happened was we had this community and we had this beautiful formula with a very unique packaging. Mm-hmm. So I think product development was another sort of marketing strategy, if you will, too, because what we thought about was, okay, we only have this Instagram or social media channel to express everything. So number one, even at the very brief stage of the product, how can we make sure that the formula and the packaging are both scroll stopping so that yeah. people on social media will be gravitating towards it as soon as they see it. That was really the vision from even before we created the formula. How can we also make sure that within a few seconds of what they see, they understand what this product is about at a glance? Because again, we don't have the means to, to, to storytell with advertising budget. We just have that little caption or, you know, we would have PR pitches, but it was just a very short attention moment that we wanted to grab. So, so we thought about, you know, creating this packaging that looks like an ice cube, because when you apply watermelon, which was actually our firsthand experience growing up as children, our grandmothers used to rub watermelon rinds on our back or heat rashes, and it was instant and we saw miraculous results of how soothing and hydrating watermelon could be so the power of watermelon we wanted to express on packaging which is why you see the shape of an ice cube cooling icy calming sort of feel and at the same time we were very passionate about sustainability from day one even though we were bootstrapped so we we made a point to invest in glass packaging at that time as well and the goop that you saw was this beautiful iridescent pink translucent texture that is stretchy and bouncy all at the same time that almost reflects what your skin result is going to be yeah so we really thought about every single touch point that the consumer could see and immerse themselves almost and have fun even with their eyes with this product and i think that's one of the key strategies that really worked and that of course the formula itself was really innovative and efficacious because there was no sleeping mask at that time that combined exfoliation and hydration in one and so when people started to use it it almost became this organic sort of review, uh, testimonial sort of situation because everyone that shared their firsthand experience saw that the engagement of those posts were much higher than some of their other posts. So, mm-hmm. and as a result, we sold out eight consecutive times across Glorospeed.com and also Sephora. You're speaking about all of these different elements, like the beautiful branding, perfect formula. And you're saying, you know, launch budget of $50,000. And I'm wondering, where did you allocate that budget in the early days? Because I know that formulation now is expensive. Back then it was insanely expensive. How were you allocating that? I think that's first and foremost why we launched with such a focused assortment. Because we launched Mm -hmm. with the watermelon glow sleeping mask and a cleanser and the blueberry bounce gentle cleanser. And Within the two, it was a full routine because that could just be your nighttime routine. But once again, very focused because we wanted to make sure we were able to truly market support 
due press and all of the things we needed to do around these two products versus launching yeah. a 15 SKU assortment. The second piece is that I think from the very early days, Sarah and I have been very involved in every aspect of the business in the early days because we've had to be <laughs> and we had a smaller team. And then eventually, as we grew our team and found this amazing talent center, many of them which are still with us today, we've been able to you know, focus on different aspects of the business. But at that time of launch, it was still a very, very small team. And so between us, we really had to find ways to efficiently talk to editors, also roll out content and education on social media, still have that direct connection with our customers and really respond to all of their emails and their questions, especially the explosion of awareness and, and interest that came with when we first launched the Watermelon Glow Sleeping Mask because this product had overnight, it seemed like thousands of people who were on the waiting list and we were being bombarded by different types of inquiries, but just people. This is a dream for most of the people listening, by the way. Absolutely. We were beyond (laughs) humbled that this product that was only in our minds actually had captured the attention and interest of so many people. So we were really honored. And at the same time, that also helped propel and fuel us for that next product, what Flow Recipe would continue to look like as a brand. And so I think in those early days, it's really important to truly understand all aspects of your business because you will have your hands in social media one day, Mm -hmm. content the next, filming the next, running to a desk site the next day. And so that grounding and that foundational time that we spent building our business from the ground up really served us well during that time. With the launch budget that you had, would you say that most of it went to product development in the early days? Product development was a big piece. What was helpful, though, is that because we had our e-com business, we were sort of able to fuel the PD budget from Mm -hmm. what we were making from our e-com site. And what was amazing was that since month three after launching our company, we broke even. And there's many reasons and factors that drove that. But the key was there was an amazing press articles and editors that supported us from a very, very early stage with real first-person reviews, with glowing, glowing testimonials. And I think those led to amazing traffic and, as a result, conversion as well. And so from there, we were able to maintain the momentum. And then with that, we were able to fuel our product development process completely on our own. So that was really exciting. Obviously, in the early days, we weren't paying ourselves salary. You know, there were some other Mm. sacrifices that we were making in order to grow the business. But I think that just comes with, you know, any entrepreneurship when you first start. So we were bootstrapped for a while. I'm not sure if you know this, Jasmine, but we were also featured on Shark Tank. Oh, I didn't know that. You know that show? Yeah, it was, I mean, that's a whole episode of its own if you're interested (laughs) because it was just such an amazing, exhilarating, insane experience, once in a lifetime experience that we've had. That episode aired in 2015. And so that was a year and a little bit after we launched our company. That also helped drive so much traffic to our website, which then, of course, led to conversion. We didn't take any money from the Sharks, actually, even though we had three offers. And so we ended up bootstrapping even longer. And we actually had capital infusion in 2020. So we actually held on for quite a long time. I think at that time, we were probably the one brand that didn't have external capital infused 
of, you know, with amongst the brands of our size in Sephora. So that was really, you know, we really held it. It was because we were cash flow positive and we were able to really sell fund throughout um, with the salaries too. So that was great. And our team was growing. But at the end of 2020, we decided to partner with an amazing, amazing investor partner that really understood our vision and was a fan of our brand actually for years. And so, which we appreciated. And we just decided that it was time to accelerate the business, but also find a very strategic partner. And that was, um, that was amazing as well. But it was very recent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is very recent. I mean, I know 2020 is two years ago, but it feels like six months ago still. I know. Uh, Six months and six years (laughs) at the same time. Okay. So you, you mentioned press there and I am, I am really curious because yes, I do. When I think about Glow Recipe, I think about the Allure reviews and, you know, you've had like big mastheads cover the brand since the beginning. When you've just launched this new product, you've got the um, AHA Sleep Mask, which I can't wait to try. Are you also following that same strategy of press being a really important part of the marketing launch? Are you more focused on TikTok or paid? How has that shifted now that you're a much bigger brand with venture backing? All of these touch points we think are still incredibly important because editors add such an amazing, impartial, expert viewpoint to the conversation. Mm -hmm. So it was really important for us to preview this product to editors that we knew and had relationships with and we were able to do that so they tried it a little earlier and we got some amazing amazing reviews which made us so happy there's always that moment when someone tries the new product for the first time and you're kind of waiting with bated breath to see what they say and a lot of these editors are are people who have seen us from our very first product so they knew the original watermelon glow sleeping mask they Mm -hmm. understood the philosophy behind us wanting to create this new version of it from scratch using these innovations and ingredients that we've come across more recently and bring this conversation around hydration and exfoliation and that duality to the next level. And they truly understood and embraced that. At the same time, of course, influencers and TikTok and that conversation that happens on social and Instagram is also incredibly important. We just approach it slightly differently. So our team, very talented team made this incredible mailer that kind of storytells in a book format why we approach this development this way. And so the philosophy and the ingredients are kind of all embedded, but it's still a storytelling experience. And it's a true moment of surprise and delight. And we've seen influencers already start to post it on social, which makes us incredibly happy to see. And once again, really great reviews online. And we have high hopes for this product. Exciting. I feel like I'm risking sounding like effusive, but I am a big fan of the brand. But you're, I think you're one of those few beauty companies that came up during Instagram and has transitioned into TikTok. Like you were, you know, started on TikTok and you're a TikTok native brand. And so many beauty companies, I think, are really struggling with that shift and how to approach that. How have you handled that internally? Were there different hires that you made? Was it just a a shift in the way that you thought? Or do you think that it always kind of lent lent itself to the philosophy of the brand anyway? Because I do feel like you had these products that were already made for social and you just had to maybe switch it to video. I don't know. Really good question again. I think it's a mix of the things that you listed, actually. We have an amazing Mm. team. We didn't hire extra team members at the time of entering into TikTok, but we have expanded since then Mm -hmm. as an 
overall team size. But our team is very, very social savvy. Obviously, I think you have to be social yeah. savvy in order to be creating content. But I mean, they knew that TikTok was a thing even before it was, if, yeah. if you know what I mean. I mean, I think they, that's why we were able to be an early adapter and be able to experiment, test things out. Because when you do, it, you know, you don't really have a huge audience when you start out. So it actually is a great time for you to experiment with different things, mm-hmm. see what works. At the very beginning, we didn't really have much following. It took time because TikTok content is very different from Instagram content. Sure is. So we were always trying to figure that out in the beginning. I'm sure a lot of brands are still trying to figure it out too. And there isn't really a, a formula for TikTok success. You know, I think it's just keeping it real. I mean, these are the few words I think by now everybody knows, but keeping it real, very sort of raw, but humorous, you know, that's mm-hmm. always very important for TikTok. Video, obviously, like making everything just real time, at least looking like it's real time and like sharing it as if you're having a conversation with your friends. I think that type of vibe is extremely important for TikTok, but it took some time for us to figure all of that out. I mean, we were learning as we went and what's what's really a good foundation, I guess, that we had is we always believed in keeping things real. You know, I, I think it's just something we internally had this phrase always when we brainstormed on new ideas is how can we make sure we're as transparent and real as possible? Even in the Instagram days, that is literally the conversation that we had internally. Yeah. And so it was quite an easy transition in that sense that we were just, you know, being ourselves, sharing a lot of behind the scenes, actually, even more than we did on TikTok now. And at the same time, I think because of that, we were able to figure out, at least on TikTok for our brand, what people were resonating with versus not earlier Mm -hmm. on. I think that really helps. The other thing that helped is we ourselves, Christine and I, but also our team members are very relationship driven and I think in life, I mean, relationships are the most important. It just drives growth. And we knew that it was important to foster and nurture relationships with TikTok creators, some of who didn't really have huge following on Instagram, but were now sort of trying to grow their platforms. Those types of relationships really went a long way because I think they appreciated us reaching out and then vice versa. And I think those led to some of the viral moments actually helped grow our brand. And you've got, I think last time I checked, you had more than 250,000 followers, which is not, not bad considering TikTok hasn't been around that long. Did you start in 2020? Is that when you guys first got started on TikTok or were you earlier than that? I feel like we started in 2019. Earlier. 2019. Okay. You were so, that was so early. The pandemic did really accelerate attention on different social media platforms and it was important for us to dive in, not only because TikTok was an important platform, but because that's where our customers were. And we wanted yeah. to create joyful content that would help people escape, take some time off, take some, you know, inspire people to take some time for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so we spent a lot of time, I remember, brainstorming our content ideas. I thought what you said before, Sarah, was really quite uh it resonated with me about the humor aspect of TikTok. I think that we're going to start seeing more people with comedy writing background coming into social media management roles because it's so important. Like that's the content that does well. If you have a good sense of humor and you know how to script something that's funny, 
that's what works on social. We should, I feel like we should be bringing that into social media that's roles. That's such a anyway. great idea. Anyway, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get off track. Entertainment platform. It's yeah, all, it is. It's not only about connection and you're there to be entertained. Yeah, 100%. I want to also talk about the beauty industry in general. I feel like there are just so many new beauty brands out there and I'm trying to figure out whether there is still space for innovation and new brands in this market or if we're actually going to see a shrinking. Like what do you think is going to happen over the next few years in beauty? I think it's a very interesting perspective because we don't think it's going to slow down. I think people, mm. beauty is such an essential part of everyone's lives. And I think, you know, if you think about the history of economy, even when, you know, there were economic crisis, beauty was, was the one sector that kept growing. It just never really fluctuated in a big way. And so we just don't think that from a macro perspective, it's going to slow down. At the same time, there's always shifts between categories. So obviously, you know, skincare has been on fire for the past few years. And now that everyone's out and about after the pandemic, I think there's a lot of interest in makeup, for example. Mm -hmm. But how people perceive and look at or use makeup has shifted since pre-pandemic, right? Now everyone is used to not wearing as much makeup because we're so used to being home or working from home. And yeah. so there's this sort of like hybrid of, you know, looking natural, but still polished enough, but not too made up, you know, looking glowy and healthy. There's just all these reasons of why these trends happen. And we think that there, there's going to be this really nice hybrid sort of you know, blurred lines between categories, whether it's makeup and skincare or hair and body, or, you know, again, like cross categories yes. that we'll see, yes, because yes. I think people are going to want more and not compromise on what they're getting. They're going to want mm -hmm. multitaskers and they're going to want to spend less and less time on actually the beauty regimen itself, but they want everything packed so that, you know, this new way of lifestyle now with more travel and wanting to get more out of everything will continue. So I think that will be a big thing that we'll continue to see. I think that as a result, there will be new brands or new categories or new innovations coming out of that as well. So interesting. One thing I thought of when you were saying, you know, those cross categories, I think that the blurring of makeup and skincare is really interesting. Like we see Euphoria, which is a brand that came up in like 2020. I think they launched on TikTok and they have the color changing blush oil, which is meant to be, you know, a product you can sleep in, skincare and makeup together. And I just think that is such an interesting shift where people expect that their makeup now is going to have skincare properties. You're obviously already loving female founder world in your ears three times a week. But did you know that we also make newsletters? We send two newsletters every single week where we basically do all of the hard work for you. We comb through all of the boring business news and pull out the most interesting, inspiring, and helpful business news from across the internet. And we only pick stuff that's super relevant to folks who are building consumer businesses. This is a free resource. If you want to get your hands on it, you can click the link in our show notes. This is also where we share our resources, where we share links to our workshop recordings, and we announce our upcoming events. The last thing that I ask everyone who comes on the show is for a resource and that can be a book, a podcast, a community that you're part of, something that's helped you both as you've been building Glow Recipe. One book I read recently was Atomic Habits mm -hmm. and 
I thought that was an amazing book. The, the phrase that really stuck with me was that if you're leaving from LA on a plane and you just tilt your navigation three degrees, you could either land in New York or Miami. Yeah. And it's so true that your daily habits really do add up over time to make a huge impact. So that's something I've been trying to really incorporate in my day to day. And it also extends, if you think about it, to skincare too. these small habits, these small rituals that we do on a daily basis really do add up and make an impact over time. So it just resonated with me on a personal level. That's a great book. Sarah, what do you have? I love podcasts. I love yours, by the way. And I I just like being inspired by hearing other people's stories. There's always, you know, something that I learn from each and every episode. I also love Second Life by Hilary Kerr, because that just really focuses on especially female entrepreneurs that had a different career path and then completely pivoted to a new chapter and are killing it. And so there's something there that just always is inspiring because everyone has their own, you know, story and reason and their success factors. So yeah, those are the go-tos. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. This has been awesome. I'm such a fan of the brand and what you have built and really appreciate all of your advice and being so generous with what you've learned. Of course. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having us once again. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Female Founder World Podcast. I hope you loved it. Christine and Sarah, absolutely two of the most impressive founders. I was so excited to have them on the show. If you enjoyed what you heard, please drop us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts.